The approach to this problem from the regulator's perspective has been if we get everybody into this market, into this health insurance market, then we'll be able to spread uh, costs equitably across all uh, individuals. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from a blizzard-stricken Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams, Bob, uh, coming to you today from a very sunny and warm Southern California with clear blue skies. Not to rub it in or anything. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law. Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. And we'd like to introduce our new sponsor, LexisNexis, leading provider of information and business solutions to professionals in a variety of industries at LexisNexis.com. Craig, you won't and, be laughing when the Pacific rises a few more inches and wipes Los Angeles and Southern California off the map. So uh, maybe, uh, my, <laughs> maybe my little place in the mountains will be worth something then. That'll do Beachfront that'll property. Do That'll do you. Well, uh, Craig, uh, with the uh, new uh, Republican majority in the House of Representatives, there's been a lot of talk in Washington about efforts to repeal uh, Obama's health care law. There's, uh, there are lawsuits going on nationally as well uh, challenging that law. Uh, much of the, the, the national law has been based on uh, a Massachusetts health reform law, uh, spearheaded by then-Governor Mitt Romney in 2006. Uh, in, in one of the, one of the uh, d- defining uh, aspects of the Massachusetts law has been a requirement that all Massachusetts citizens obtain health care, certify that they've obtained health care, and uh, if not, uh, if they haven't done that, they have to pay a penalty. So in, there's uh, one of our guests today we're going to be talking to in just a few moments, uh, Got hit with that penalty uh, and and filed a lawsuit uh, challenging it. And we're going to uh, talk to him a little bit more about that today. Uh, his name is Michael Berlina. He's a resident of Massachusetts. Uh, he was hit with a roughly a $2,000 penalty, probably for him and his spouse, I think, uh, by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts for not having health insurance. Uh, Michael's going to tell us more about that uh as a guest on today's show, but uh, let me first welcome to the show, Michael Merlina. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Well, and Bob, also the questions that we're going to be talking about today and whether or not Massachusetts should penalize its residents for not having insurance if they can't afford it, whether this type of a law would be uh, have any kind of applicability in the, in, uh, the, the greater United States. Um, whether universal health care has helped the state of Massachusetts and whether it will help the United States if it ever gets enacted uh, or overcome its repeal. Uh, we're going to question whether lawsuits are going to be popping up in other states with uh, the new national health care law. And today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to be looking at Merlina versus Massachusetts, 
the current state of healthcare in Massachusetts and the questions this case raises in our nationwide debate. And uh, besides Michael, we're going to have uh, one other guest on the show today, um, attorney David Harlow. David is a seasoned healthcare attorney and uh, consultant recognized as a thought leader in healthcare and policy. Uh, before founding his current uh, firm, the Harlow Group, he was a partner in the health law practice at Posternak, Blankstein, and Lund. And prior to that, he served as deputy general counsel of the Massachusetts uh, Department of Public Health. He's also chair of the Public Policy Committee of the Society for Participatory Medicine. His blog, Health Blog, David Harlow's Healthcare Law Blog, is nationally recognized as a leading healthcare law and policy blog. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, David Harlow. Thank you, Bob. A pleasure to be here. Well, Michael, so we can get the program started. Can you give us a little bit of background about your lawsuit? Sure. Uh, basically, how it all started was, you know, last year we were, we, when we were doing my, my – I had my accountant here. He was doing my tax returns. And he, at the end, he said, you know, Michael, you're going to owe you know roughly $2,000 towards the state of Massachusetts because uh, you didn't have uh, health insurance. And, you know, that, that kind of you know blew me away a little bit. and. Um, he was, my account was under the impression that, you know, he saw, you know, that I had a tough year and he said, you know, if you fill out this appeal, uh, they're going to review it and, you know, you should be fine because it's pretty blatant that, you know, it, it was a tough year for you and it, this was just another expense that you couldn't afford. So, you know, I filled out that appeal. I, I sent it in and three months later, I got the denial, um, from the health connector. And then, you know, I, I, I won't lie. I was mad, you know, so I, I took it to the next level, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing as far as the courts go, but I was just kind of, you know, going with the flow, trying to learn as I went, and uh, it made it this far. And that's pretty much where it stands now. Well, David, you're a healthcare lawyer. What uh, What do you think about uh, the status? Of, what do you think about Michael's lawsuit? And uh, what's the crux of the matter as you see it from a legal perspective? Well, the system that's been set up in Massachusetts really envisions uh, universal health insurance coverage. And uh, the theory behind that is that if people are covered and people get uh, primary and preventive care, they will reduce the incidence of uh, using the system for the more expensive care. And the cost of health care, which is breaking the bank uh, in this state and across the country, will ultimately be reduced. There are, in the short term, you know, higher costs in order to, to do that, in order to bring people uh, into uh, having insurance who maybe didn't uh, or before. And part of the system that was set up in Massachusetts to encourage that was setting up an income-scaled approach to health care insurance premiums. And uh, so for some folks, health insurance is free. For some folks, uh, it is subsidized. Uh, for some folks, you may fall in between the cracks a little bit there's a small, tiny percentage of folks in Massachusetts who are exempt from the mandate and do not get uh, state health benefits to subsidize the health premiums. But then beyond that point, everyone is expected under the law to uh, buy health insurance. Every employer is expected to provide health insurance. And those who don't are subject to state penalties designed to incentivize people to actually spend the money on the health insurance instead of paying the fine. And that is where Mr. Molina finds himself. Well, Michael, why don't you tell us how where you fit in the system here? I mean, how is it that you do not have health insurance? What efforts have you made to get health insurance? 
Well, up until the end of 2008, you know, my wife held a job that, that did offer benefits. You know, that, that didn't cover 100%, but it covered enough that it was affordable to us to be able to opt into, you know, an employee program like that. And previous years, any job that, you know, either one of us have had, we've always opted into it because it was always affordable at the time. Um, where I stood in 2009 and 2010 as well um, is my employer uh, was unable to just offer it. You know, we're a small family business. We're just, you know, just trying to make ends meet. Uh, in those two really bad years, we actually had one layoff, which is the first one uh, in the company's history. And also my wife was just doing her best to uh, bring home a paycheck on a week-to-week basis. You know, it wasn't a career move. It wasn't anything. It was just, she was just trying to, you know, help support, you know, our, fi- our family's financial history. And, uh, and, and now it was just, it was just, it was just impossible for us to, to put in another $425 a month expense into that, into that year. It was just, there was nothing we could do about it. It wasn't that we didn't want health insurance. You know, I understand it's important. I understand that I should have it, but if it's something that you just can't afford, you know, it's like, then you, what, are you, what are you supposed to do? Well, so you took you took matters into your own hands to some extent, and 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 filed a lawsuit. You're you're representing yourself pro se, as I understand it. What's the status of the lawsuit? Well, I I did take matters into my own hands. Uh, you know, I did I did speak with a couple lawyers. It was it's a really hairy issue because it's just kind of getting off its feet. So I don't know if uh, a lot of attorneys just weren't uh, ready for it, or they just you know it, it would have been expensive. So I you know I just took it into my own hands just because. I just felt like I was backed into a corner, and that was that was my only way out. Um, as it stands now, we went to court, um, and the judge, when the health connector denied my appeal, they all they sent back to me was you didn't su- uh, supply sufficient documents to support your claim. And you know, when I sent in my appeal, I sent in all the proof of all everything that that I wrote down as an expense, and and pretty much all of my stuff was you know necessities in, in terms of what the expenses were. So for them to come back to me and say, you know, you didn't supply enough documents, that tells me that they don't believe what I'm saying, or they look up to something else, or, or I don't know. It's just it was just a real general uh, denial, and the judge agreed with me because the but the the judge came back. He he gave us um and he gave the connector an order that says, uh, you 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 are ordered to re-review his case and give him a detailed explanation as to why you denied his appeal, and and he underlined it, he bolded detailed. In that, so uh, currently where it stands is, I guess it's on hold in the courts, and we're waiting. And um, the connector is sending me what they call another appeals package, and I'm going to go in there for a face to face with the hearing officer, and they're going to and they're going to hear my case on a more detailed basis, and then and then we're going to go from there. So, David, what what kind of uh, accommodations do the state of Massachusetts need to be making to people like Michael? And his wife and others who may have lost their jobs or can't afford health care. I mean, is this is this appeal process a legitimate process, or is it one that's just summarily dismissed uh, as it appears to have happened in Michael's case? Well, it is supposed to be a a, a real process, and it's uh, a question of examining an individual's uh, income and so forth against the uh, standards that are set by statute and by regulation that the connector uses to evaluate. In each case, so in in Michael's in Michael's uh, case, he's essentially paying a fine. He's been he's been asked to pay a fine that would equal 
um, something under half of what a health insurance premium would cost for the coverage. That's what he said it would be um, uh, a moment ago. And the, from the from the Commonwealth's perspective, the issue is that if uh, Michael or his wife require health care services um, on an emergent basis, they'll be provided uh, free of charge in an emergency room because uh, if they're uninsured and unable to pay, um, that'll be paid um, under uh, um, under the EMTALA rules. Someone cannot be turned away if they're having an emergency. And um, that cost is absorbed either by the hospital or by a state fund that's administered out of the fines and premiums that people are paying. So the bottom line is that we expect, unfortunately, that each of us accesses the healthcare system each year one way or another, illness or injury or preventive care, and that payment has to come from somewhere. So while the connector is relooking at the individual facts of this case, the concern overall is that the money needs to come from somewhere. David, what is the uh, what what are the what are the status of, of of other legal challenges in Massachusetts? Have there been uh, lawsuits filed with regard to the Massachusetts health care law, and and if so, what's what's happened to those? It's interesting. There's been a lot of discussion and conversation about whether the law is legitimate, whether the law could stand. And in the uh, legal press and legal blogs, for example, there's discussion about whether the Massachusetts law is preempted by ERISA, uh, federal law which um, preempts state law, quote-unquote, regarding insurance, more or less. So uh, to a certain extent, there is a there is a belief in some quarters that if a challenge were brought, that the state law could be um, challenged and, and overturned based on the federal law, which puts us in a very, I think, a very curious position. So on the one hand, opponents of the Massachusetts law believe that federal law would supplant the Massachusetts universal health care law. On the other hand, Opponents of federal health reform have relied upon the Commerce Clause in the U.S. Constitution, which basically says this is a state matter. The federal government cannot regulate something within a state, only something that is uh, interstate. And so opponents of mandates for health insurance are effectively saying that neither the federal government nor the state governments can regulate in this arena. And given the size of the healthcare economy, it must make us pause and wonder if neither the states nor the federal government can regulate in this area, how are we ever going to get a handle on cost? Michael, what do you have any idea if you are fined successfully, what's going to happen with that fine? Does it go to the state? Is it going to go toward helping you pay for insurance? How does that work? Oh, it goes right towards the state. You know, this was one thing that I didn't bring up, and I'm saying, you know, if they're that concerned with me having health care, why don't they take my fine? If, if they really do have to fine me, why don't they take my fine and apply it towards a plan for me for next year and make it more more affordable for next year so maybe I won't have to incur a fine and I will have health care? But they don't. They take it and they put it into a fund or they fund 
I don't know what with it, but it goes, I'm assuming, you know, it goes to the connector and, and they have uh, full rights to just whatever they want with it. And that's something else that I don't think is very right. Cause I mean, like I said, if, if they're that, if they're so concerned that they actually need to find me, you know, for not having healthcare, then, then how come they don't take my money and, and put it back towards me? Well, that's been, uh, well, let me just follow up because I know that just yesterday there was news that, that the state of Maine was one of the latest states to talk about joining a, a lawsuit to challenge the federal health care law. And it seems that if I'm understanding it correctly, part of, at least part of the challenge is based on this idea of a, a mandatory uh, mandatory participation in health care and a penalty for non-participation. Uh, David, do I have that right? And what's your, what's your perspe- perspective on that? Right. That's been the nature of the challenges to the federal health care law, the individual mandate, which exists also in Massachusetts. And as I said earlier, because of the differences in power and authority of the federal government versus a state government, the, the legal nature of the challenge is, is very different. Um, you know, at one level, it's the same challenge. I, I don't want the government to require me to buy health insurance. But the, the legalities of the challenge are, are, are very different. Um, the, the need from the regulator's perspective or the, 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 the approach to this problem from the regulator's perspective has been if we get everybody into this market, into this health insurance market, then we'll be able to spread, uh, costs equitably across all, uh, individuals. Uh, Michael mentioned that he's in a, a, a small business, and historically, small businesses have had higher health insurance premiums than large businesses for their employees because of the nature of the group health insurance market. What has happened both at the state level and will be happening at the federal level is the development of, of larger markets, larger groups. So there's a there's a small group and non-group market in Massachusetts that's supposed to even out um, these premium levels, and in the federal in the federal uh, legislation, there's a requirement that we move from uh, experience rating to community rating within a couple of years. So the idea is that uh, to a certain extent, uh, this is founded on the on the notion that we're all in this together, and that taking a community rating approach to health insurance will spread cost equitably across all people. And then we'll bring people in to a system that promotes primary and preventive care and manages cost of care on a long-term basis so that ultimately costs will be reduced. There's no arguing that in the short term, there's a tremendous spike in cost when you uh, insure people that are previously not insured, when you provide services that are previously not provided, there's going to be a spike in cost. And over time, that uh, increase in cost will actually be reduced. So that's the expectation and projection, because as people are provided more primary and preventive care and are learning more about self-care and self-management of their conditions, costs will go down. And to be without health insurance may mean uh, failure may lead to failure to monitor a particular condition. And then when you do need to go to the doctor, it's for an acute situation rather than something that could be managed in a more cost-effective manner. So that's sort of the theory behind all of this. 
And uh, again, there's different kinds of challenges being mounted at different levels. If the uh, individual mandate were actually struck down in the federal law, then the health insurance companies, which have supported the law to date, would no longer really be interested in in promoting the health reform because an individual mandate brings a tremendous number of new covered lives into the market. And just sort of from a, from a realist perspective, that means that the insurance companies will be able to do the other things that health reform calls for because they have a lot of new business. Well, gentlemen, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll, we will hear more about health care with Michael Merlina and attorney David Harlow. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing? I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software, and they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. So I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the the excitement is they're now able to realize the, the potential of IT without all of the headaches. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS-70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. 
or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. Uh, my co-host Jay Craig Williams and I are joined today by Michael Merlina, a Massachusetts resident who has filed a, a pro se lawsuit challenging a penalty imposed on him on, under the Massachusetts health care law, and also by attorney David Harlow, a Massachusetts health care lawyer and blogger. And Michael, I wanted to ask you, uh, what's what kind of reaction have have you gotten from other people in Massachusetts to your lawsuit? I know you have a website up uh, talking about this. Uh, you've uh, you were you've made some television appearances. Uh, you're getting some publicity for this. Uh, you've been covered in the newspaper a little bit. Uh, are are other people getting in touch with you uh, who are in the same situation? And what are you hearing from them? Um, they have uh, mostly from what I've heard, you know, from people, uh, a positive note, uh, you know, you're doing the right thing, you know, you stand up for yourself, you know, I can't believe they're doing this to you. It, it's mostly positive. You know, every now and then I'll get the negative feedback, which is to be expected. And and I have an answer for, for anything that, that they have to say to me, um, which I don't mind, you know, I don't mind discussion. I don't mind, you know, negativity. Uh, but most of the public, most of from what I heard, most people that do get in touch with, with me um, about their own situations, I do get back to. You know, I do have the website set up, and that's why I set it up to have an email address open to to the public, where you know people can talk to me, and and, and they can even ask the questions of you know how do I get this far, or you know what what do I have to do to um, to appeal or anything. And I just I kind of share what I've done. You know, maybe it's right, maybe it's wrong. Uh, but I've gotten this far, so you know I wouldn't. I, if I had to do it over again, I'd do the same thing. So, and, and what's your answer to those who are critical of your lawsuit? What do you say to them? Well, like one of them is, you know, what would happen if you know, God forbid, say I do need to go to the emergency room. Say, you know, I, I cut my finger at work, or you know, I, I, whatever, I got hurt at work. I am going to incur some expenses. However, the state is going to take the same approach that they have with finding me, saying this guy makes a lot of money. Uh, and they're just, they're going to come after me for that money. There's no way that they're going to say, you know, Michael, uh, this is a lot of money. Don't worry about it. Because they're after me for $2,000. So, I mean, say I do incur a $10,000 hospital stay or, or whatever, you know, they're going to have to, I'm going to have to set up a monthly, you know, payment of, of whatever I can afford at the time to pay for that. And then I should, you know, it's my personal responsibility. Uh, of myself, I you know I didn't have health insurance. Nobody else should be responsible for that. And I think if more people took that approach as to footing the bill for themselves and, and finding a way to pay for themselves and not just you know abusing uh, the system, then then I don't think we would have such a problem. But I, I know that's a, a lot to ask. So how is how does Michael's lawsuit fit into the national scheme? Is there any application? Are we seeing similar uh, requirements in other states or in the uh, in the federal scheme? How does it how does it all play together? Well, as I said before, the federal scheme has an individual mandate, and the but the basis for for challenge is is really different. Um, and we're seeing those play out. One federal judge has um, allowed a challenge to survive uh, preliminary stages of a lawsuit, and they'll be going to the merits. And there are other lawsuits around the country at various stages. Some have been dismissed, others are proceeding. So uh, we'll see that play out around the country. Um, in, in terms of a couple things. 
where does the money go? Where does the fine money go? That goes into a fund that will pay for uncompensated care, that will pay for uninsured care. So uh, someone who is uh, shows up in an emergency room and doesn't have the means to pay, that fund is available for uh, reimbursement to the hospital. Um, but th- that's a means-tested question. And somebody with means who accesses the system repeatedly will ultimately be fined uh, further. So there's a, there's a stick approach in this regulation to move people into uh, insurance. And as I said before, whether it's a, a state plan or a private plan, the idea is, is that that's the way that we're going to be able to collectively um, manage costs better. That's the theory. Um, Michael spoke about uh, paying out of pocket and how individuals can um, take a, a different approach to controlling the cost of care. Um, that has uh, historically been found to, to not work so well. People will delay and avoid care and then will be hit with the, with the classic $10,000 hospital bill because they've avoided primary and preventive care because it's going to be an out-of-pocket expense. So for better or worse, that's sort of been the experience to date. And while individuals may differ in the way they approach it, um, as a society, uh, that seems to be the way uh, we approach it. And so the government has taken the approach, which seems to be within its power, to say, well, you really need to be inside the system, and then we can manage the whole thing together. Well, David, I mean, you're a you're a healthcare policy lawyer. What do you, what do you think about? Aren't we really just imposing this individual mandate because we're afraid of universal health care? We're not willing to impose universal health care. I mean, do, don't we ultimately need to get to universal health care if if we really want to address uh, the, the health crisis in this country? Well, this is an approach to near universal health care. Um, so Massachusetts was already uh, closer than most states to universal health care coverage. When Michael is an example of why the approach doesn't always work, the, the approach we've taken. I mean, it's not universal in his case. Correct. So uh, another approach would be a single-payer system. And the question is, who would the single-payer be? Would it be a government payer? And there's been tremendous pushback in the national political arena against that idea, um, against even having that idea as an option on the menu in the national health reform law. So that didn't appear there. If we did have a single payer approach, that could knock out a tremendous amount of administrative costs from the system. And again, would, uh, would, re- would result in savings for everybody. Um, but as a society, we're not prepared to do that. Michael, has there been any talk of uh, or any offers of help from other lawyers who are interested in helping you out? Uh, any potential class action for the 2,500 or so other people in in uh, Massachusetts who are not covered? Uh, no, I really haven't heard from many people. You know, when I did start all this, it, it did happen uh, just by chance. It wasn't planned. It, it, it kind of all happened uh, right before the uh, the elections. So it was a little bit, it did turn itself into a little bit of a like a political movement. And I did get... Some phone calls from politicians say, you know, we'll do our best. Maybe we can help you, this and that. But, you know, since then, I really haven't heard anything. It's just uh, I hear mostly from reporters and, and uh, news stations and radio stations and, and just, you know, just to try to help get my story out there. Um, but in terms of uh, legal advice or anything like that, I just, you know, I just do some research and, and I just do the best with, with what I got. Well, we are just about out of time for this week's 
program. But before we wrap up, we'd like to give each of you an opportunity to share your kind of concluding thoughts on this topic and also to let our listeners know how they can follow up with you if they'd like to do that. So, uh, Michael, let's begin with you. All right. Uh, really quickly, you know, I just wanted to state, you know, my lawsuit does not attack the individual mandate. I'm, I didn't go to court and say, you know, this is law, this law is wrong. You know, the government can't force me to buy anything. And I, I didn't take that approach uh, because that's a battle that's way beyond my legal knowledge. I basically went in there and, and I tried to interpret uh, a certain law into my favor, which, which states, you know, if, uh, if purchasing health care was going to provide serious deprivation of food or shelter, uh, you know, then you're exempt from the fine. And that's kind of what I went in there trying to prove, trying to prove my mortgage is high and et cetera. And, and my basic necessities are relatively high. And that's why, you know, I, I should be exempt from the fine. So I'm, I'm not really trying to fight the law. I'm just trying to, you know, interpret it in my favor. Um, and the other thing is, you know, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I do have, I put a Facebook page up because I was told that's kind of the easiest way for a, a lot of people these days. It's called Merlina verse Massachusetts. It's M E R L I N A space V S space Massachusetts. And, um, a lot of people on there have gotten in touch with me and, and I also have a website set up, uh, Merlina is fed up.com and, and other, and a lot of people have used that email address to get in touch with me also. Well, very good. Thank you. And David Harlow, how about you? Yes. I, well, we've talked about the the laws in general and uh, their application to to Michael's individual case. Uh, the the laws in general, I think, are are developed in a way that are going to promote improvements in the system uh, overall. And of course, the devil is in the details. And one of those details is determining exactly what the point is of uh, financial hardship and uh, requiring agencies to. Uh, uh, to do the math and, and explain themselves, and that's entirely uh, legitimate. The um, the debate continues at the state level and at the federal level, national level, and uh, I track this uh, and comment on it on my blog, which, uh, as you said earlier, is health blog. That's uh, healthblawg.com, healthblawg.com, and uh, I invite people to uh, uh, check it out. Follow me on Twitter. There's a link there as well. And uh, connect with me if you like. Great. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for being on the show today. Uh, our time's up for now on this issue. And uh, we'll maybe discussing it more on a national level later in another show. But for now, we remind our listeners you can get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on the West Legal Ed Center. And of course, you can also find us at uh, legaltalknetwork.com and at the uh, in the podcast library on iTunes. Um, that about does it for this week's program, Craig. Thanks a lot to both of our guests for being with us. Uh, thanks to our listeners for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you then, Bob. And when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.